welcome to the Friday, August 9th, 2019 State Fair edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, a new poll, which could be a regular feature, I guess, the State Fair Soapbox. Scholten is in, and uh, did gun violence in Texas and Ohio overshadow farm policies at the State Fair? Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Thomas Nelson of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, uh, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, and happy fair week, everybody. <laughs> and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, the soapbox. Aaron, after one day of soapbox speeches, um, what do we know? Which got more uh, mentions from the, the candidates yesterday, uh, policies to prevent gun violence or uh, saving rural America? About, uh, I guess I'd say the news of the day has so far outweighed the, um, the location. Uh, we've heard a little bit more about uh, gun violence and gun safety than we have um, rural issues. Um, admittedly, small sample. Uh, we're only on day two, which is going on as we speak. Um, and on the first day, we only had Governor Steve Bullock and uh, Foreign Vice President Joe Biden. So uh, small sample size, but uh, uh, with the with the mass shootings, the still in in folks' minds from this past weekend, um, a lot of talk about uh, gun safety. Uh, and, and the other thing was, you know, not unlike what I'm sure we're going to hear repeated roughly <laughs> two dozen times over the next few days, is uh, heard the basic stump speeches um, on the soapbox. Um, so that's why those uh, little gaggles afterwards and then the walking tours are where you'll sometimes actually get uh, some entering com- interesting um, comments um, when the candidates uh, take questions either from media or, or the people that they run into uh, from the uh, at the fair. But uh, so far, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, forgive the pun, it, it, it's been pretty standard fair for these candidates. <laughs> all right todd Todd, i'm sure you've been glued to the the live stream of the soapbox speeches and you you've been to the fairgrounds before um what's the benefit of these speeches is is it do the candidates benefit does the register des moines register benefit because of the attention it gets uh is it the interest groups that heckle or bird dog the candidates uh who, who comes out ahead on this well, I, I I think the register definitely comes out ahead. I mean, it's their show, and you know, and everybody's got to mention them in their in their various media accounts, and it draws, you know, underscores their role in the in the process. Uh, and the bird dogs, they do well. You know, that's that's become a tradition as a sort of wear coordinating T-shirts or whatnot, and then kind of make yourself heard. I think what was always what's always been fascinating to me about the soapbox. Is that you know normally you see these candidates speaking to you know groups of party activists, where in this case, when you're at the fairgrounds, you're actually speaking to a little broader cross section of Iowans, some of which may not be Democratic activists or be even active in politics. And sometimes it's interesting to see if any of those folks ask questions or to just kind of watch their body language if they shake their head or just walk away disgusted. <laughs> you, you might know that maybe that message isn't resonating with. Be beyond the the inner circle of activists, so that's that, that's always been kind of fascinating to watch. But I think it benefits the candidates, it gives them a a chance, you know, you know, to to speak at a place where there are, you know, are 
you know, conceivably thousands of people, not maybe listening, but then walk around the fairgrounds and press the flesh and do that sort of retail politicking that you're supposed to do in Iowa. Aaron, uh, what, what was the crowd like yesterday? You know, I was, I was um, impressed. It started out with Governor Bullock first, and, and uh, for a guy who was one of the last to get into the race, as, as he talks about, he, was, he stayed into his legislative session, so he was later than most, and, and a guy who's still uh, kind of in that group that stuck at around the 1% mark in the polls. He had a pretty decent crowd. I mean, the, the, he had the the area, the immediate area was filled up and had a little bit of spilling into the Grand Avenue that goes right by the the soapbox area there. Um, so a, a pretty strong crowd uh, for um, a one percent candidate uh, on on not a weekend day at the fair when overall fair attendance isn't quite as big as as it will eventually get to on these weekend days. Um, and then Vice President Biden had a very big crowd uh, that did spill well into. Grand Avenue. Um, so, 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 um, as I uh, noted, I, I think I sent a tweet yesterday. Uh, clearly, we're <laughs> amazingly uh, is not caucus fatigue set in yet uh, for folks because um, uh, clear, clearly a lot of interest in, in hearing from these candidates this week, at least uh, as far as what we saw uh, yesterday on the first day. Uh, really good crowds at the soapbox. Of course, I should say also it, it's quite possible that the, uh, that crowd was 50% media, given all the national reporters <laughs> who are here. So, yeah, <laughs> Thomas, uh, this isn't specifically state fair related question, but uh, and I, I know you've seen some candidates this week. Has, has the gun violence issue uh, over the past week overtaken uh, at least temporarily everything else in the campaign? Um, the other hundred priorities that these candidates talk about has gun violence sort of stolen the show. You might say. I think uh, I think overall gun violence maybe not maybe not necessarily has stolen the show, but certainly has come a lot uh, more into the forefront of a lot what a lot of these candidates talk uh, talk about. I know um, last night, uh, you know, candidate uh, Gillibrand was in Waterloo, and one of the main things that she was talking asked about and also talked about was gun violence and you know and when my interview with her she talked about how uh she kind of traces a lot of the gun violence to uh president donald trump because of the debate you know uh what he's sown and then she's been looking that past common sense gun reform and i think that's been the main a main thing people have been talking about and what's interesting too i guess on a more national level is that i think the you seeing that mitch mcconnell uh you know, Senate Majority Leader is considering taking, uh, you know, gun control measures to the Senate for a vote uh, speaks to, I guess, um, where we are right now, you know, considering that he's been one of the biggest uh, opponents to any form of gun control. And if he's willing to go and take a vote to the Senate, that that's going to that might that that might also stem some of these calls for uh some of these this issue being brought up in presidential races in the presidential race and i think it's also important to note though as well that it's you know gun violence is not just uh an issue but it's something real and tangible less than a mile from where uh jill brand was having her uh you know meet and greet at single speed uh brewery in waterloo there was a police standoff where someone was shot in the stomach and uh, the, that suspect is apparently still 
some people were arrested, but one one of the suspects is still on the loose. So it, it's a real issue, and and not necessarily just in Dayton and El Paso, but uh, in in every community, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Fine, uh, moving along, another day, another poll. And uh, we know that we shouldn't be paying attention to polls six months ahead of the first in the nation caucuses. But dang it, horse races are so exciting. A Monmouth poll out this week seems to confirm what we've been seeing in other recent polls. Joe Biden leads and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren is surging. Uh, Aaron um, has Biden's numbers seem to stay the same pretty much in all these polls. Has he hit his ceiling? Yeah, that that's an interesting um, and, and then that's a good point. And the Monmouth poll pointed that out, that um, his 28 is almost exactly what it was in their last poll. I think it was 27. So he's, he's kind of hovering there while Elizabeth Warren um, made a fairly big jump up to, to, to significantly close that gap. Um, I, I don't think it necessarily means he has hit his ceiling. <clears throat> you add the, all those numbers all up and there's still a good deal of undecided Voters in in that poll um, that could still so some of those folks could fall Joe Biden's way, and uh, as we know from um, this poll and others, uh, a lot of people say their support at this point is um, soft, meaning that they'd be open to to changing their mind down the road. So so that could still happen, and, and maybe he gets a bump at some point for whatever reason for folks who change their mind. Um, so so I don't think. We can sit here right now and say that he has hit his thing. Now, he may have. It may ultimately play out that way, but I don't think we know that for sure right now. I think there is an opportunity still for Joe Biden. But it, but it is noteworthy that, as of right now anyways, his support has kind of hit a plateau while others below him are are moving up. So So that does say a little bit of something about the field as it sits right now. Does it appear that Warren is is taking her or getting her increase in support? Is she taking it from any particular candidates? Um, I mean, it, it, it sort of looks like Sanders' numbers uh, are down from where they were. Um, I guess it, is Iowa over Sanders and and now uh, uh, going with Warren? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to. I don't know if we know that for sure, but it's hard not to look at those numbers. And at least draw that as a, as a possible conclusion that uh, that um, um, you know, look, Bernie Sanders did really well here in Iowa four years ago. He, he uh, came within uh, you know a historic margin of of defeating Hillary Clinton. Um, but this time around, um, it, his support hasn't been as strong. Obviously, the field's much bigger, so there's uh, more options for for Iowa Democrats. Um, and you have someone like who like Elizabeth Warren, who has a, some of the same kind of policy ideas, and uh, is getting more traction than these of right as as right now. So it's hard not to look at those numbers and come up with that conclusion that at this point, that the, among those types of voters, people who are particularly interested in the the more the the most progressive policies, uh, most liberal, however you want to label them, policies in the field that, that right now Elizabeth Warren seems to have an edge, uh, uh, with those kinds of candidates. And, and, um, and, and, you know, if, if, if that's a lane, so to speak, and I know some people kind of cringe at the, 
when reporters talk talk, talk about lanes because they think it's oversimplifying the process. But if but if that is a thing, Elizabeth Warren seems to be running ahead of of Bernie Sanders in that lane right now. Todd, uh, we always talk about the three tickets out of Iowa, uh, and if you look at this poll, I mean Biden, Warren, and Harris are the top three, but uh, only Biden and Warren reached the fifteen percent viability threshold, um, and. You know, with the asterisk that this is six months before the caucuses, um, will there be a, a third ticket out of Iowa, or just two tickets, or maybe the third ticket will be d- determined by uh, caucus goers' second choices um, and lift somebody up into the to that third ticket? Yeah, that's uh, three tickets or two and a half. Or <laughs> we're going to get a ticket for uh, too much ticketing. Uh, it's you know, I I, I think there's <laughs> probably going to be more than three in that because. If you look at this poll, just as an example, those, you know, your third, fourth, and fifth place finishers might be within a few percentage points of each other, which is going to lead. And then, you know, of course, everyone claims some sort of victory on caucus night. And, and of course, you know, if Bernie Sanders does poorly, that's going to be a blow. But he's got New Hampshire where he's pulling a little better. Uh, I, I just I think Warren's upside is is pretty big. I think, as we talked about, Biden has maybe gotten about the maximum he's going to get and whether anybody can catch him is the question harris is 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 crossing the state this week and and i think she may if she uh, ups her presence in iowa she's also got a tremendous upside here lots of democrats talking about how they like her you know her strong you know firstly her first debate performance was was so strong so uh you know yeah I, how many tickets i i Probably knowing what we know about this field, there's going to be way too many tickets. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just kind of what's going to happen. New, New Hampshire is going to have to, you know, make room for them all, I guess. It'll be up to New Hampshire to whittle this field down, I guess. Yeah. Or, or South, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Iowa won't do its job this year or next year, I guess we should say. You can't win. You can't winnow when they refuse to be winnowed. <laughs> <laughs> that's true they, they got to want to winnow i guess so uh, yeah exactly and who wants to winnow you know nobody wants to be winnowed <laughs> moving on uh any months of speculation jd Scholten told uh, sioux city journal's brett hayworth that he's throwing his baseball cap into the ring he'll square off against the winner of a four-way gop primary that includes representative steve king todd uh who do you think uh uh, he's rooting for in this race. Uh, de- defeating King seems like it would be more satisfying for Scholten, uh, and running against a lightning rod like Steve King would make it easier to attract the out-of-state funding and other resources. So uh, is uh, uh, Scholten pulling for King, or would he have a better chance against a non-incumbent? Yeah, I think he's pulling for King. I think, well, obviously we saw in 2018 he came remarkably close to knocking off King, and you know, King comes with a lot of baggage, and uh, and that's the, the kind of stuff that could peel off a few, you know, sort of conservative-leaning independent voters that are sort of sick of King's stick. Uh, you know, I think if a Randy Feinster wins the primary, you're going to have, you know, someone who has King's conservative beliefs, but not all of that sort of bigoted, white nationalist sort of stuff tied to him. I think it would be a lot more difficult for Shulton to beat a Feinster than and King, and, and you mentioned the fundraising and all of that. And you know, if it's King, then it's a it's a race with a national spotlight, and Shulton will have no problem getting you know earned media and money. But if it if it just becomes 
you know, a Democrat versus a, a more acceptable Republican in that district. Looking at the numbers, I, I just don't I don't think Shelton can, can probably do it. Yeah, Aaron, the 4th District is 39% GOP based on voter registration, 24% Democrats, and 37% other, uh, which, you know, to, to go to Todd's question, does a Democrat, Shulton included, have a realistic shot of winning there? <clears throat> I think uh, what 2018 taught us is that, um, yes, Democrats do have a realistic shot, but also just how um difficult it is um because look in 2018 jd chilton came within three percentage points of of um of beating steve king there that that's close enough that, that you can say look that is a winnable race but what it also says on the flip side is that was a perfect storm it couldn't have been scripted better for the democrats um, given everything that happened and the timing of what happened with some of the news that came out of Steve King very sh- about Steve King shortly before the election and everything that was getting away from him. Um, and it was in a wave year where Democrats did well, uh, not only in Iowa at the congressional level, but across the country. So despite that perfect storm, um, the Democrats still weren't quite able to pull off the upset. So, so, so I think that's what we learned out of that election. Is yeah, it's possible. It can be done. It, they almost did it, but boy, does everything just have to absolutely perfectly fall in line every which way but loose. And and, and even then, it's going to be really close and really hard. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that race, of course. Uh, and on the state level, despite Democrats' worries that the election, special election over in Ames was not during the school year when those liberal engineering and ag production students would be in town, ISU uh, diversity officer Ross Wilborn managed to get 97% of the vote to replace Lisa Heddens. Uh, Republicans who are outnumbered by Democrats by a couple thousand vote, voters and uh, outnumbered by other by about 7,000 voters didn't put up a candidate. Thomas, uh, what's the impact of this election? What's, what's the takeaway? Well, um, I feel like uh, you know, when you have Ross Wilburn, who was uh, winning and being uh, now a new representative and a, you know, legislator in Iowa, he kind of have a new voice. As well, because you know he was uh, he ran for this is coming after he lost a bid to a governor's bid um, in the primary in 2018. And another kind of important thing is uh, you know he'll make it he will make the the count in the legislature ten I mean uh, five African Americans uh, from four. So he's going to add a certain amount of uh, diversity to the legislature legislature that wasn't there before. So it, he'll be adding a new voice, and he um, it will will be, and it might also, who knows, maybe fuel some more, uh, you know, a, a want for higher office for Wilburn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was also the mayor of Iowa City, so he has uh, quite a bit of experience at the local and now at the state level. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it has been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend, and if you don't like it, don't tell anybody. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. 
And with that, Johnny on point will take us out. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Thomas, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Thank you.